Good morning, everyone. Hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and, Lord willing, a restful week. I know a lot of us uh, were battling sickness. One thing about having a family my size is it just kind of cycles. You think that you've already gotten it, and then, you know, you're like, I should be immune to this, and you start kissing on babies who are sick, and then you start coming down with stuff again, and it's just been a time. So if that's been your family too, then hope you all recover quickly. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We are in between our Advent series and a series we'll be starting in the new year. And so I was praying at the beginning of the week what the Lord would have for us, and he led me to 1 John chapter 3. I want to stir up your sincere hearts this morning by way of reminder so that we head into 2024 in light of what's true. And so this morning we're going to see a truth to behold and to believe and a truth to obey in light of it. And so in honor of the reading of God's word, I ask you to stand with me if you're able. And again, we're going to be just in the first three verses of 1 John chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to gather with your people underneath an open Bible. Lord, we know that you are speaking by your word. You've been speaking by your word all this gathering. And you have desired right now that we behold truth that you've given to us. I pray that you would open our eyes to see clearly what is here and that you would empower us by your spirit to believe and to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, one of our family's favorite book series is The Wing Feather Saga by Andrew Peterson. Some of you may have read it. If you don't have kids in a, a, a kind of a younger season, you may not have. Uh, I don't want to spoil any of the books, but one of the repeated refrains from the children's mother in this book, as they're living in a far country and they're going through different trials or persecutions and are facing shame, is for them to remember who they are, to remember who they are, to not live by what they can see, but to remember the larger story and the maker who's writing it all. And that's what John is doing here. He's calling us to truly see, to look past appearances, what things look like in your everyday, and to live in light of what's true and what is coming. And so that's what I want us to see first from this passage. He says, See the Father's love given to us. This is verse 1. See or behold 
what kind of love the Father has given to us. He's writing to believers, those who have been united to Christ by faith. And he says, it's this kind of love that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Now, just as with the night sky, you can see the stars more clearly on the backdrop of a crisp, cool, dark night. You see the glory of God and you see this kind of love when you consider the dark backdrop on which it sits. Now, prior to the coming of Christ, God's covenant people knew God by a covenant name, but it was not Father. They mainly referred to him as or called him. They wouldn't speak it with their mouth because God is so holy, but he revealed himself to them as Yahweh God. And it was a name that communicated rightly God's majesty, his holiness, his greatness. It, it represented this truth. No one can see God and live. Now, prior to the fall of man, prior to sin entering into the world, mankind lived in Adam and Eve in communion with God in his presence. That was what we were made for, was to live in the presence of a holy God. But once sin entered into the world and death through sin, we were separated from God so that no one could live in the presence of God. No one could see his face and live. The most holy beings in all the universe that surround his throne day and night cannot even bear to look upon him. So holy and righteous and pure is this God. Now he honored Israel with his presence in the tabernacle and in the temple. But even then... No one could enter into his presence except for the high priests and that only once a year with an offering of an unblemished lamb on the Day of Atonement, all of it being tokens and pictures that were pointing ahead to the Christ who was to come. But no one got to live in the presence of God. And we, who I presume in this room are mostly Gentiles according to the flesh, not Jewish, The Bible says that we were strangers to the covenants and to the promises of God. We were not a people at all. We were outside of covenant with God. Ephesians 2 says that we were without God and without hope in the world. On top of that, you're spiritually dead in your sin. That nobody searches out God. Nobody can see him. Nobody can make amends for the wrong that they've done across this chasm that existed between them and Almighty God. And so we were naturally blind by our sin, but we were also blinded by the devil himself to keep us from seeing the glory of God that shines in the face of Christ Jesus. On top of that, Jesus himself says that we were of our father, the devil, doing his desires, we were at enmity with God. That's, the Bible says that's your natural state. When you're born into the world, you are haters of God. You love yourself. You seek to live a self-oriented life. Even the good that we do is trying to convince ourselves that we're better people than we feel we are and know ourselves to be inside. And so it is a very desperate hopeless state apart from Christ in the natural, without God, without hope. No one can enter into his presence and live. No one can live 
in the presence of God that he made us for, and that is death itself. Paul continues to write that we were by nature children destined for the wrath of God, that that was our future. The only possible outcome was that we would experience death eternally, the judgment of God for our sin. But here he's writing, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So what happened? Well, in short, the cross of Christ and the grace of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So this is the great message of the gospel, that God, by his grace, sets his love on his people and makes us alive together with Christ after Christ has gone to the cross to make atonement for the sins of his people. He is both the high priest and the sacrifice. Like Pastor David prayed, the one mediator between God and man. He shed his blood to make atonement for sin. He satisfied the wrath of God against sinners, and he opens up himself as the new and living way by his blood for us to become children of God. This is what is so glorious of the gospel is that in the gospel, Jesus not only grants us forgiveness of sins and gives us the gift of justification, declaring us righteous before God, but he also grants us the gift of adoption as children of God. This is what John, in his gospel, communicates so clearly in verse 12. He had just finished saying that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But in in verse 12, he says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And he's very clear. You're born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, but of the will of God. And so his point to everyone in the room, whether you're inside of Christ or outside of Christ, is if you come to Christ, you receive him as God gave him, as both Savior and Lord. You invite him to be the king of your life. You turn from your sin and from living your own way, then your destiny is radically altered, and you go from being a child of wrath and a child of the devil, and you get transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, and you are made a child of the living God. And his point is salvation and sonship are all of grace. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's the same heart that God communicates to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. He says to his people Israel, it wasn't because of anything in you, because of So not because of your skills, not because of your character or merit that you had in yourself. It wasn't because of anything in you that the Lord chose you and set his love on you. But it is because he loves you. And he's keeping covenant that he made with Abraham that Christ secured forever at the cross. And so my paraphrase of that passage that you've probably heard me say before is he loves you because he loves you. 
That's his reasoning for it. You cannot explain the grace of God outside of him and his character and his heart. He loves you. Why? Because he chose to. Because he loves you. Now God, so remember, so pure, so righteous that no one can look on him and live. Now that same God invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace on the basis of Christ's shed blood. Jesus did not bring God down in his holiness, but he so sanctifies and rescues you and unites you to himself by faith that he brings you up and you become united in him so that you can approach the Father as your Father. This is what Jesus staggeringly taught to us in the Gospels is that we could call his Father our Father. We see it twice when he taught us how to pray. So in the Lord's Prayer, he says, when you pray, pray in this way. And it's astonishing what comes out of his mouth next. Our Father, I am inviting you to talk to the Holy God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who dwells in inapproachable light and has existed from all of eternity. I'm inviting you to call on him like I call on him as Father. In John 16, verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, In that day you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So he says, I want you to approach the Father, and I'm not saying you've got to ask me to ask my dad for you. I want you to come to him as your own Father because the Father himself loves you. After his resurrection, he tells them, I, go tell my disciples, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Romans 8 says that he has given us his Holy Spirit, and he calls him the spirit of adoption as sons, who teaches us to call on this God who is holy, holy, holy as Abba, Father. So this is the name by which God invites us to call him in the New Testament. This is his covenant name. We have been united to Christ by faith and now share in his relationship with God the Father. This is what John is saying in 1 John chapter 3 when he's saying, Behold this. I want you to see this. You are children of God right now. And the Father loves you. Jesus prays this in John 17, that the Father loves his disciples with the same love with which he loves his precious son. I want you to meditate on that and think on that. Jesus says, Father, you love, fill in your name, with the same love that you have loved me. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians 2 that God made us alive together with Christ by the gift of his grace. Why? So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He brought you to himself so that for all of eternity he could lavish your life with kindness and with grace. And he says all of it is because you are in Christ Jesus. 
If you've received him and you've been adopted into the family of God as a child of God, that is your location now and is more true of your life than anything else in your life, that you are in Christ Jesus, that you have been transferred into Christ. And that, that language, in Christ Jesus, means you have union with Christ. He, he's brought you into covenant oneness with him. The closest picture we have in this life is marriage, but you have been made one with Christ on the basis of faith so that now, in covenant with God, God forever treats us as he treats Christ the Son. That is your reality because of what Christ has done for you at the cross and the grace of God. So, see the Father's love for you in Christ. But we also see what we're called to hope in Christ, that we will see him and be like him. So look at verse 2. Beloved. Now, this is, so if you ever see this in an email from me, and I, and I ever say beloved, I don't want you to think that I'm somehow, you know, making, like emasculating you if you're a dude, or that I'm somehow being kind of weird. This is the language that John writes with all the time because it means you are the object of the love of God, your Father. This is your identity. You are loved of God. And so that's what he's writing. Beloved, I want, you, I want you to hear this. This is your name. You are loved of God. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment a, a small illustration, but hopefully to try to color in some of this. I want you to imagine that a king just finalized an adoption of some child from an impoverished community. And he lives at a far country, and there's a gap of time between that adoption being finalized and the realization of that son or daughter coming into the family of this father who is a king. He sends some new clothes and he tells him to wait. And he tells him as he waits to honor him and the way of life of his new family as he waits. Now, he is a prince of this royal family in that moment. Once the adoption has been finalized, he is a son. Uh, many of us feel passionately about this who have adopted children, that my adopted son is my son. He has my name. And there was a moment in time when he was not my son and the adoption was finalized and he is forever part of my family. And in this moment, he, this adopted child is just as much of a son as he ever will be. He's a prince in that moment. But there's no real change of circumstances. And on the outside, he looks just like the rest of the children in that impoverished country. All he has is a new set of clothes and a promise. That is your state, beloved of God. That you have been adopted as a son or as a daughter into the family of God and your father, even though on the outside, it doesn't yet appear yet what you will be. 
it doesn't change the fact that the adoption has been finalized and you are right now, as you wait, a child of God, and that demands something of you to live a new and a holy life. But you need to hear this. You will not be more of a child in your perfected state than you are right now. If Jesus has declared you righteous on the basis of his blood, then you will not be more righteous in eternity. In the eyes of God, than he has declared you to be right now. And that is just as true of your sonship in the family of God. You can't get more adopted into God's family than you already are. So God's word is clear. We are going to reign with Christ forever then, but we also reign with him in life right now. The revealing of what we are has not fully happened, but we are right now children of God, and listen to this, heirs of God with Christ of all things. This has massive bearing on our life right now. This is Paul's, this is what Paul went to when the Corinthian church was arguing over whether they followed Paul or whether they followed Peter or whether they mainly liked the preaching of Apollos and they were boasting and putting confidence in men. How would you help believers in that moment? What truth would you point them to? This is what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. Do you see that language? He, he's talking to adopted children of the king, and he's saying, it, it doesn't yet look yet, like it's going to, but I want you to know all of this belongs to you. You reign with him in life, and so act like it. Walk in his humility. Walk in his love because it's all yours. But it's all yours while you are Christ. You belong to him, and you submit your life to him just as he submitted his life to the Father. What we will be has not yet appeared. God's word says you're going to be raised in power. You are going to be raised to new life in glory. And you are going to be made completely Christ-like. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we will bear the image of the man of heaven, Christ Jesus. But what we will be has not yet appeared. And we feel that painfully so. Do we not? It's not just that we don't yet appear like sons of God in all of our brilliance and glory that we will one day physically, but we also do not appear yet like children of God even in our daily life. We so often feel so painfully, so palpably, our lack of sanctification, our lack of holiness. If we're walking with God and walking humbly with him, we often sense our unholiness far more than our progress. We battle a pride that is self-oriented and defensive. We're so often making excuses or justifying ourselves. How often we forget God in the moments of our days and live like our life centers around us. 
We balance between either a drivenness that is willing to throw people away or a laziness that is more concerned with our comfort over the good of others. A little lack of sleep or slightly hard circumstances can reveal alarming irritability, irritability or judgmentalism or a complaining spirit. Some of us care way too much, care way too much about what other people think. So we're more concerned with being respected or liked than we are with the honor of God. We can be plagued with anxiety when we feel out of control. Sure, we don't struggle with stress or anxiety when everything is good, but as soon as there's a hard bill to pay or we're not sure of what's going to happen in the future, then we're plagued with fear. This is to speak nothing of lust or gluttony or disregard for the poor and the needy or lack of concern for the lost or socially acceptable ways of lying or stealing or slander. We so often find ourselves, as Paul verbalized in Romans 7, that we are not doing what we want to do. And that which we are trying to run from, we do. And we have access to, Romans 8 is the answer, we have access to the Spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to live according to the Spirit and to walk by God's Spirit. And so often we fail to and live life in our own strength. And so into our sin, what does God say to his beloved children on whom he has set his covenant love? I want to read to you his response to you from Isaiah. We read, if you're doing our reading plan, I think in the last week or week and a half, you would have read this. But he spoke to his people who were in a similar state, bound to him by covenant, but steeped in their sin. And this, these are words from Isaiah 43 through 46. I love you. I have called you by name. You are precious to me. You are mine. I am with you and I will never leave you. I have created you for my glory. You are my servant whom I have chosen. I am your redeemer. You have burdened and wearied me with your sins, but I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. O church, you will not be forgotten by him. He has blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to him, for he has redeemed you. That is the love of the Father for his covenant people. That is what, if you have been united to Christ by faith, you cannot ununite yourself. If he has covered you by his blood, you cannot uncover what God has covered by his blood. Now, we cannot deceive ourselves in going on and sinning that grace may abound. But this is God's gracious declaration over your life. I am he who blots out your transgressions. And by the blood of Christ, I will not remember your sin anymore. I read this week in our family devotions, Psalm 65, verse 4 through 5. I'm sorry, 3 through 4. When iniquities prevail against me, 
you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Our sins separate us from God, but by the blood of Christ, we who were formerly brought far off have been brought near, and you now live with him in his presence. And he says, if you confess your sin to me, then I will be faithful, and I will be just, and I will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen to the psalmist. He's saying, sin is winning. You atone for our transgressions. Listen to this plan of God, this program of sanctification that he has proclaimed over your life. Philippians 1, verse 6, he will, by the grace and glory of Christ, complete the work that he started in you. In the kingdom of God, there will be no unfinished Christians. There will be no everlastingly immature Christians. He is going to bring every last one of us into the fullness of the image of Christ. Sanctification happens by beholding Christ. This is how he does it. He's going to do it. And our text says, when we see him as he is, we are going to be made like him by the sight of him. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, that this is your calling now. We all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. That as we behold Christ right now, who is the image of the invisible God, he is actually transforming us into more and more Christ-likeness day by day. And we fail and we sin and he says, I am he who has blotted out your transgressions. Return to me. I have redeemed you. Look again to Christ and be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And he is going to transform you from now in, until the day that you see him face to face. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 3, we eagerly await a Savior from heaven. That's where our citizenship is now. And from heaven, we're eagerly awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to transform our lowly bodies to become like his glorious body, even by the power that he has to exert, to exert all things, to, to subject all things to himself. He's going to do it. And so, how do we live? If we see that this is the love that the Father has given to us, that this holy, holy, holy God has invited us to call on him as Father. And by the blood of Christ, we can draw near to the throne of grace for mercy and help in time of need. And if we have this hope that when we see him, we are going to be made like him, and that we are children of God right now, even though it doesn't yet appear what we will be when we see him face to face, then how now shall we live? According to the text, we're to abide in him and purify ourselves. This is verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself just as he is pure. If we have the hope of being made like Christ, and if God is our Father now, then the call on us is to live in light of our hope, and in light of God's goodness, in obeying him. Now, obeying God 
and his commandments is the evidence of our sonship. That is what John is writing mainly in this section is that we cannot deceive ourselves into calling ourselves children of God while continuing to live like children of the devil, slaves to our own desires and doing whatever we want. And so this is where I get the title for this message of trusting God and taking ground. We need to believe that we actually are children of God right now. And we need to believe that he's going to make us completely like him and he's not going to stop transforming us until he's finished. And so if that's true, then let's take ground. This is, if you back up a few verses into the end of chapter 2, listen to what John writes. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So this is such a clear teaching of God's word. If you have been adopted by God into his kingdom as a son, and he's given you his Holy Spirit, it's going to lead to a new and holy life of walking by God's spirit. And you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And that will be the practice of your life. So John uses this language all the time in this letter. What is the practice of your life? What is the habit of your life? No one who truly abides in God makes a habit or has a way of life of sinning. Because God has come to take up residence. And the habit of our life is righteousness, is taking ground. And we fail and he atones for our transgressions, and we get up, and we look to Christ, and we're transformed, and we practice righteousness. People do get deceived in this. That's why in verse 7 he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. I think one of the ways that people get deceived in this is by disconnecting inward and outward righteousness. And so... There are kind of two camps in this. One camp that divorces inward and outward righteousness would just, like the Pharisees, clean up the outside. And so when you hear this exhortation, purify yourself just as, you are, as he is pure, you start cleaning up the outside of your life. And inwardly, you can still be full of covetousness and greed and all matter of sin and impurity, but you're cleaning up the outside of your life. And... <clears throat> Jesus came to make the inside new. He says, if any man is in Christ, then he is a new creation. The old you has passed away, and behold, you're brand new, that he gives you a new heart. But the other error is thinking that so long as the inside is new, that the outside is inconsequential. And this is what I want us as a church to be on guard against, because you can think I'm just going to continue to believe the gospel. I'm just going to continue to believe that Jesus died for my sin and that I've been forgiven and I have a new and a holy life without the outside of your life actually becoming new and holy. And we just cling to the fact that we, f- that we are believing that we've been made new inwardly and disconnecting the practice 
of righteousness, of living like a son or daughter of your heavenly Father. And so John is saying, no, cannot disconnect the inward from the outward, that you are what you practice, and you cannot be deceived in this, beloved. If you are God's children now, and he's coming to complete the work that he started in you, and God's word says that right now God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, that we are as children of God to work out our faith with fear and with trembling. That this is a call this morning with a renewed faith in a father who loves us to live like we are part of his family, to live like you've been adopted by the God who is holy, holy, holy. And who has given you, listen, his Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption is the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of God's Spirit in you is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When we talk about holiness, we're not just talking about ethereal, like, standoffishness or aloofness we're talking about love and joy do you think of holiness as joy actually your your seriousness and your lack of joy could be a lack of holiness because we're talking about a fruit of the holy spirit in your life is joy Uh, the fruit of the holy spirit in your life is a love for god and a love for people it's a patience that you practice at home and at work It's a kindness that characterizes your life because you've been adopted by your heavenly father and you're part of his family. And he has given you his Holy Spirit to empower you to live like the child of God that you are. So practice righteousness, beloved. Inside in your thinking, inside in your praying and in your Bible reading, but also on the outside. As you talk and as you listen And as you work and as you give, as you care, doing the good works that God's prepared beforehand for you to walk in. No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning as their way of life. This is what John teaches. If you say that you've come to know him, then we should walk as he walked. Listen to 1 John 3.10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So here's a question for us. Is your life marked by righteousness and by love? Now, I want you to hear the warning in this. And I want you to hear it as connected to everything we've been saying so far. This is not... God loves you. He blots out your transgressions for his own sake. And there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. And if you're not righteous, then you're not of God. As if those two things are separate. But he wants you to see this. And he saves us, listen, not just by the hope that we have in Christ. God saves his people with his warnings. Because true children of God hear the warning of God And we repent and we follow him. And those who are not the children of God, but are the children of devil, stand off from a warning like that and think, 
That sounds like legalism to me. The God I know wouldn't warn like that. The warnings are part of his saving work, completing Christ-likeness in us by leading us away from danger into the beauty of his holiness. So you need to hear things like, no one who practices sexual immorality will enter the kingdom of heaven. Liars will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, and, and on and on. So that we run from our lying and from sexual immorality into the purity of living like children of God. So I want to close by asking you some calibration questions. It's a beautiful time of year to do this. Lord willing, you already do this as a way of life as you head into a new year. Don't, don't waste this opportunity. I'm not saying to go have all these New Year's resolutions that you have no intention of completing once January is gone. But it is a good time to take inventory of your life. And a lot of you, um, look, we, we, we calibrate our lives or things in our lives all the time. My wife's Instant Pot just broke. I had to put in a new sensor and I had to calibrate it so that it wouldn't blow up on us. And I had to keep filling it up and then resetting it. And there was still too much pressure. And I had to take it out and twist a little screw and then put it back in and test it all over again. And I had to calibrate it. Many of you do this with your guns. You, you're, you're aiming. It's off. You take it off, make an adjustment. Then you go back and you shoot. Okay, so this is the same thing. To calibrate your life. What is the direction of your life and your trajectory right now? Are you walking by the power of God's Holy Spirit and abiding in the truth of his word? Just really ask yourself these questions. So write them down and ask yourself later. Spend some time with them. Abiding means living in, remaining in. So are you living in God's word? That's how we abide in God. We abide in his word and his word abides in us. He uses these interchangeably, if I abide in you and you abide in me. And then right after he says, if you abide in my word and your wor- my word abides in you. It's the same thing. So are you abiding in God's word? Are you living life with your father? This is that Coram Deo principle, that living before the face of God. It's what it means to fear the Lord. Are you living in the fear of God? Living your whole life before the face of your Father who loves you? Honoring Him with your life because you love to bring glory and honor and pleasure to this God who loves you undeservedly? I want you to be reminded this morning that the chief bounty from the cross of Christ is your sonship of the living God. You have a privilege and a joy and a duty of living as a son or daughter of your heavenly Father. And I say often to my sons, or you may have heard me say this to you before, to live as a son in your father's world today. It's the same thing as this wing feather saga refrain, right? Remember who you are. Go live as a son in your father's world today. He owns it all, and you are his, and you belong to Christ, and all is Christ, and all is yours in him today. So go live in him and through him and for him, for the glory of God. So what would change about your life, about what you plan, about what you do, about the rhythm of your habits, if you were to live consciously aware that you are a child of your heavenly Father 
And you can either please him and invite his presence into your life or displease him and reject his presence by the content of your actions and attitudes. What new ground in holiness and in righteousness can you take for the glory of God this year in your life? These are calibration questions. What new ground? Yes, praise his name. He's been sanctifying us in his truth. What new ground can you make in holiness this year? What practice of righteousness can you take up this year for the glory of Christ? As you wait for and hasten the coming day of God, what progress in grace would he have you make this year? I want to close reading these couple of verses. This is my prayer for you and for us as we head into the new year. May our God make you worthy of his calling and may he fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may it be so for the glory of your name. We praise you that you have lavished us with such grace that we could never merit or deserve. But this is the glorious reality that we now have in Christ. We have been united with him by faith. And now we are sons and daughters like he is a son. And you are right now our Father. Give us faith to trust you in the midst of things not yet appearing like they actually are. Help us to not live by sight, but to live by faith, trusting you, and by your grace and your power, taking ground for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.